Welcome to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. We meet each Sunday online and in person at 10.30 a.m. You can find the Bernie Church of Christ at number one Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. With today's message, here's our youth and family minister, Jacob Dukes. Um, thank you so much for joining us this morning. My name is Jacob Dukes. I'm the youth and family minister here at the Bernie Church of Christ. And before we begin, will you bow in prayer with me? Lord God, we thank you for the special opportunity to approach you this morning in worship, in song, and through your word. God, I pray that this morning you would instill in our hearts a great passion for your people, a great passion for everything that you would have to offer us. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you've blessed us, and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our collective hearts and minds be ever pleasing to you. You, God, who are our rock, and you, God, who are our redeemer your most holy name that we pray. Amen. If you've joined us here in person or online over the last several weeks, we've been carefully reflecting on the life of the apostle Peter. Now, Peter was a man who started out as a fisherman who would then become a fisher of men for the sake of Jesus. Peter's life is one of many remarkable stories of transformation in light of who Jesus Christ saw him as and knew what he would become later. Now, today we're nearing the final stages of this series through the life of of Peter, and we find ourselves in a very important passage in Acts chapter 2, which is the story of Pentecost. And although Pentecost is not celebrated this year until June 5th, it is still fitting for us to study this story in line with where our series is, and especially considering our celebration of Easter last week. So to bring us up to speed a little bit with where the apostles are and the other many disciples that are with them and where they find themselves, we have to review a little bit why they are gathering in the first place. So there's 50 days between Jesus' resurrection and the day of Pentecost, the same way that there are 50 days between the Jewish Passover and the Feast of Weeks or what they call Pentecost. There have been, these have been busy days for the disciples. It hasn't been anything lounging around, um, anything that, that is different for them than what they've done before. Jesus has been with them for 40 days, teaching them and instructing them in the last things he would like to deliver to them before he ascends to heaven with God. So following his resurrection, Jesus has been with them for 40 days, and then immediately after his ascension, the apostles start working together to fill the gap within the group of 12 that Judas has now left. So now, just as everyone has gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Ingathering, or Pentecost, whatever you want to call it, they gather to celebrate the upcoming harvest, the events that we know The events that Christians know as Pentecost are about to unfold. So within the Bible, there's two remarkable stories that, uh, two remarkable narratives that concern theophany and concern language. Acts contains one of those in Acts chapter 2, and then Ben provided us in our scripture reading the other story at the Tower of Babel in Genesis. But before we turn back, before we turn our attention back to the Tower of Babel, Let's first establish ourselves at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, if you'll follow along with me. It reads, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, 
And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit had enabled them. Now there's a few key elements here in this passage that display the presence of God or theophany, the presence of God in this passage that often shows us the presence of God throughout all of Scripture. And here's those three elements. The first one being loud, abrupt sounds. This violent wind that rushes through the house shows you that something is happening. And that loud, violent wind that fills the entire room, the entire building, shows that God's presence is among them because God's presence fills up whatever space he is occupying. And then finally, one that is maybe more familiar to you are this presence of fire, or at least in this instance, tongues of fire. These three elements show us that God is present amongst his people and he is there to say something. Now Luke's inclusion of these three aspects of the Pentecost narrative are a way of getting around to his audience uh, this scene and mentioning things to them that they've certainly heard before um, and by even mentioning this event, things that would immediately come to mind. Luke employs this term known as ekphrasis. Ekphrasis is used to appeal not just to the reader's sense of hearing, but also to the reader's sense of sight. Ekphrasis is used by ancient writers to appeal to both hearing and sight at the same time. So though the early Christians would have been familiar with this story through various oral and written traditions, Luke's literary artistry certainly comes in handy for those who are not quite familiar with this story and those who need some more vivid images to paint the picture and to set the scene. So now that God's presence and now, now that God's presence and his unity with his people are made clear to them, we must learn what he intends to do. What is he here to say, and why are these events important to any and all believers, especially the early Christians? So following these initial events at, at Pentecost, we learn, as we've already mentioned here, that the Jews are gathering for the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Ingathering, Pentecost, all these various names to it, but they are gathering to celebrate the harvest. And during this time, many Jews who had come from countries all over the Asiatic and Mesopotamian regions heard their own native languages being spoken by these Galileans, by these local Jews. All of these foreign Jews who had gathered for this festival heard their languages from their hometowns being spoken in a land that is somewhat foreign to them now. Now, this wouldn't be normal to hear these languages spoken in Jerusalem because Jews were not fluent in many of these other Mesopotamian languages, certainly not even knowing little bits and pieces of their language. Jews would not be familiar with this, so there was some sort of miracle going on. And upon hearing the various languages being spoken, the group decides to investigate. These foreign Jews who have come in from all these different countries decide to investigate and find the early Christians in this house speaking their language, 
each and every one of them from a different region hears their own language. Now, upon questioning these events and, and wondering what is going on, Peter reasons with them. Peter stands amongst the entire crowd and reasons with this entire crowd of Jews and says to them that God has come to offer them salvation through Jesus. His evangelistic address speaks to the very reasons for their gathering as a whole, and he journeys the people through the passion narrative, which has only taken place just two, less than two months ago. So the Jews then, hearing this message from Peter and in realizing that there's this great event going on, feel convicted by Peter's words. When Peter convicts them for their role in crucifying the Savior. So the Jews feel convicted for their role and, and feel convicted for the people who were directly responsible for that. And they ask, how should we respond? What are we then to do? And Peter instructs them this way, a phrase, uh, a verse that is, is very familiar to many of us. He says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, upon hearing Peter's instruction, many are baptized and, and many are added to their number that day. And their numbers have skyrocketed, have exploded. Now, upon the, the many, many people that are gathered amongst the early Christians, this movement begins. Now, let me bring you back to the Tower of Babel. If we remind ourselves of that scripture that Ben read for us just a few moments ago and of those events that are taking place in Genesis, then we're able to find an interesting perspective on seeking the will of God and what he offers for his people. Now, in regards to Pentecost, we're going back and forth, but in regards to Pentecost, here's what Peter offers the people regarding seeking God's will in Acts chapter 2. In verses 22 through 24, it reads this way. Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, Peter maintains both a high Christological as well as a theocentric viewpoint. And I'm going to explain what those two things mean. He, but he keeps this high Christological and this theocentric viewpoint while attempting to unite the people under God's purposes. Now, here's what I mean by that. Peter maintains this high Christological viewpoint, meaning he presents Christ in his full majesty, fully divine, fully God, God incarnate. Peter places Jesus in his proper place as a member of the Godhead, a member of the Trinity. Jesus is the one who came and offered his life as an atonement for the sins of his people. Yet Peter also stresses the action and the will of God. It's Jesus who's the one who came down, but in the same way, it's God who sent him. When we read closely, we learn that it was not simply Jesus who performed many miracles, wonders, and signs, as it says, 
but we learn that it was God who did so through Jesus. In the same way, we learn uh, that it was not solely Jesus who offered himself up for his people, but God who deliberately planned for Jesus to be that sacrifice. And finally, though it was Jesus who had every power and authority upon the earth to defeat death, it was actually God as well who raised Jesus from the dead and gave him that power. You are listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. To learn more about us, please visit our website, berniechurchofchrist.org, or follow us on Facebook. Now, with the rest of today's message, here's youth and family minister, Jacob Dukes. Now, Peter's purpose is to unite the people with the purposes of God and offer them a path for forgiveness when they feel like they haven't followed at all. And when we compare this with the story of the Tower of Babel, we learn what the alternative looks like in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, which reads this way. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now the people of Babel's mission was not to serve God. They were not erecting this tower to worship God or to dedicate anything to him, but instead, their purpose was to rise to the level of God and possibly above him. Their purposes were corrupt in their community, even though this great gathering of people has accomplished a magnificent task of this tower. Their purposes were corrupt and they did not find themselves working together for the will of God, but rather their own. Now, if our purpose and our plans align with God's will, unlike the people at the Tower of Babel, then we learn that the same tools that God used to scatter his people are the same ones that he will end up using to reunite them again. Now, scholars have been making this connection between Acts chapter 2 and, and, and Genesis uh, chapter 11 for ages. Uh, scholars have been making this connection between Pentecost and the Tower of Babel for ages, uh, long before me. But though the text does not make this connection itself, and to be honest, many of our early church fathers don't even make this connection as well, the amount of connections made between these two stories is quite inspiring, and we would not be wrong to say that they share some of the same motifs and tools used to convey God's message to his people. Some of the same themes and some of the same arguments and the same message are delivered between these two stories. The most common motif, the most common theme of them all shared is the work of the tongues or the languages here and their usage by God in Genesis to scatter his people and then in Acts to gather them again. God uses the people in Genesis, as, uh, God uses people's languages in Genesis to scatter them at the, of, out the Tower of Babel in order to protect his people from corrupting their own hearts. And we learn of God's reasons for scattering them 
uh, at this moment in history in Genesis 11, verses 6 through 7, which reads, The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. And what I find most interesting about this story at the Tower of Babel is that the people knew the entire time what would be the result of their actions. If you remember what we read in uh, Genesis 11, verse 4, they said to themselves, Come, let us build this tower for ourselves that reaches to the heavens, make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the whole face of the earth. They knew their intentions were wrong. They knew their plans were corrupt. But they followed through with this plan anyways. Now, if the people knew the results of their actions, if they knew what would happen, when it would happen, and why it would happen, then why would they continue to follow through with this plan? Yet the goal of the story is to not explain the actions of the people at the Tower of Babel, but it's simply to highlight the people of Babel's own arrogance and their defiance of God. And instead, also highlight the power of God to change people's course for the better. Now, our God has too much control in the world to let his people fall apart. And in the same way, he has too much control in the world to let them stay apart. He doesn't want them to stay apart. And that's why we see, even though he scatters them in Genesis 11, in Acts chapter 2, he uses the same tools to bring them back. In Acts, the same tool that was used to scatter the people in Genesis is now used to bring them back together. In Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 12, it reads this way. It says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each one of us, uh, each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, our own languages. And it says, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now, this moment offers something special for the Jews of the diaspora, the Jews who have come out of exile, and the ones who are still scattered throughout the world. This moment offers something special for them, the ones who have learned to call other countries and other peoples home. As they return to their true homeland of Israel each year for these various festivals, they find themselves more and more strangers and foreigners in a land that has provided for everything their family knows and everything that their family has done. The pain and the agony that is felt from being so disconnected with such a significant place 
in their history is sure to cause stress, anxiety, and worry, and wonder if that place will ever become home again. Now this moment, in the same way that it offers something special for them, offers us something special. It offers something special for all of God's people who desire community with him and God's people. If the same God who used the languages of the earth to scatter his people to all ends of the earth can gather them once again in his holy city, then God is one who desires to bring everything back under him. And the early believers and the Jews alike would recognize in the words of Celine Dion, it's all coming back to me now. Now, isn't it wonderful that moments like this, how, how, how many moments in our lives that are often used to divide us are the ones that quite often bring us closer together. Isn't it remarkable? See, those moments that are really the dividing moments in our lives, the ones that bring us closer to one another. Now, if you happen to be here yesterday for the memorial of Amy Stevenson, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to add or take anything away from the beauty of, of what happened at yesterday's service. But isn't it remarkable to see how even death, especially one tragic for us, is able to unite us and bring many people who once, and will always call this home, under the same roof once again. God has an amazing ability to use the very same tools like language that are meant to divide us, meant to make us different from one another, and meant to scatter us throughout the world. And he has an amazing ability to use those tools to bring us back together again. Now, this story of Pentecost is just one of the many examples that God uses and that God has of uniting his people again in spite of the effects of being scattered so many years ago. If you look back at the story of Pentecost, we might find ourselves asking the same questions as the Jews. What does this mean? Well, I'll offer you the same answer that Peter gave them. Peter responded to the people by offering them a chance to receive God's presence, to accept his will, and to be united in true communion with his people. I was recently visiting some family um, this, this past week, and I was talking with a, a family member of mine about whether or not the church is important for the individual believer. And this specific family member uh, identifies themselves with saying that I don't need the church. I have a better and more personal relationship with God outside of the church than I did when I grew up in the church. They argued that you know, many feel turned off by the church and are better seeking Jesus in their own time and sometimes do better that way. And I can't argue much against that idea in a lot of ways of, of having a personal relationship with Jesus. I believe that is a good thing, but I believe it's passages like this one, like Acts chapter 2, compared with Genesis 11, but it's passages like Acts chapter 2 
that stress the necessity of a community of believers for each and every believer, for each and every soul seeker, each and every person who calls upon the name of the Lord. Thank you for listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. You can hear the Bernie Church of Christ right here on Bernie Radio each Sunday at 11 a.m. or for worship online or in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To learn more about the Bernie Church of Christ, visit our website, berniechurchofchrist.org, or call us at 830-249-2685. Again, that's 830-249-2685. Thank you once again for listening to the Bernie Church of Christ, and I hope you have a blessed day.